0: Producer Ari here, back again for another exciting edition of Tony Katz this week. Uh, Again, I'm Producer Ari, the producer for Tony Katz. I'm going to bring you the best of stuff for the past week, the stuff that Tony loved the most that we think you need to hear. First up, Senator Todd Young. He came on the show earlier this week and was throwing fireballs at China and Joe Biden's pick for Vice President Kamala Harris. Todd Young's been on the show a few times, and usually he's pretty calm, cool, and collected. I've never seen him get this fired up before. It was pretty nuts. Uh, definitely worth sharing.
1: Nancy Pelosi wants $3.5 trillion for coronavirus relief. The Senate Republicans want $1 trillion, And so the House did what seems rather logical. They said, we'll see you in mid-September. The president has decided he'll just give people $400 a week. And I'm not sure the president can do that. Wait a second. I'm positive the president can't do that via executive order. I add to t- the, on top of that, add to that, depending on how you like to say it, we continue to go down the road with China being a bad actor. You see sanctions from the United States against Chinese nationals. They respond with sanctions against people like Senator Ted Cruz and Senator Marco Rubio. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Great to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. Senator Todd Young of Indiana joins us right now. He sits on the Foreign Relations Committee and the Finance Committee. And I do want to get with you. On uh, Coronavirus uh, Relief, and specifically, it's good to talk to you. It's good to to hear from you. Uh, I do want to get with you on China, but let's start where we start. Joe Biden picks Kamala Harris, your comrade in the Senate. What do you think?
2: Um, she wants to pass a Green New Deal. She wants Hoosiers to have to, therefore, uh, rebuild their houses to Green New Deal standards. Uh, she wants to prevent us from driving, uh, wants us to stop eating beef. Uh, she wants to eliminate on-the-job insurance, but says undocumented immigrants should, should get free health care. She's promised to raise taxes. Uh, what is there to like? is what I would say. Uh, She's the number one draft pick, as President Trump likes to say uh, for vice president. I believe that the more people get to know Kamala Harris, uh, the less they will like her.
1: Has this been... <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, h-
2: has that been your experience in dealing with her in the Senate? No, actually, she's quite pleasant in person. That's the irony of the whole thing. <laughs> uh, but she hails from the far-left progressive uh, collectivist wing of the party, and they're driving the agenda, which is exactly why she was picked. And, and and one does need to take seriously this election of a vice president, a heartbeat away from the presidency. Uh, does the state of Indiana, does America want somebody who hails from the far left of a far left national party uh, during this important time? I don't think so.
1: Now let's get into this important time, which is of course uh, coronavirus and uh, more stimulus. Right, the Republican plan, the Heroes, the Heals Act. Sorry, uh, would be one trillion dollars. Uh, the Democrats under Nancy Pelosi with three point five trillion dollars worth of desires and and, and wants. Uh, the Democrats' po- position is come meet us halfway. And it seems the Republicans are like, no, that's a pretty bad idea, as yeah, you would you describe can- it to to Indiana and to yeah. the American people what's the difference between the two plans?
2: So Nancy Pelosi is living on Fantasy Island. The among the differences between the two plans, aside from the $3.5 trillion price tag, is this is a messaging bill. Don't take it from Todd Young. Take it from the New York Times, which weeks ago, when this bill was crafted in Nancy Pelosi's office without consultation uh, with uh, the vast majority of her conference uh, without the, uh, outside of the light of day, um, this thing was introduced. It was a messaging bill. Suddenly, it's become their negotiating position. They want to fund such things as uh, the National Endowment for the Arts. Okay, we can debate that. We can debate the propriety of of federal taxpayers paying for the National Endowment of the Arts and to what extent, but it shouldn't be part of a coronavirus package. checks to illegal immigrants. That's also part of this. Um, you know, uh, the, the sorts of things uh, nationalizing our federal uh, uh, elections. Uh, that is part of this. These are things unrelated to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Hoosiers can see through this. And look, Pelosi knows, uh, Speaker Pelosi knows that this is something uh, that Republicans cannot agree with. She's not moving off the dime of her three and a half trillion dollar figure. She's trying to sow chaos, hoping that that be um, tagged to President Trump, and and as it relates to President Trump's executive actions, um, I think he felt as though, look, we're in the midst of a national emergency. These are certainly exigent circumstances. And if there's an attempt to essentially um, drive our economy into a ditch, uh, much of, of that damage being irreversible, to inflict pain on people, so they're evicted from their homes, uh, to, uh not ensure that our health care providers have all the resources they need, and so forth, uh, so that she might win an election. Uh, the president felt like, you know, uh, you know, we need to act in some Exigent way. Circumstances hopefully, notwithstanding, this will, Senator, this will um, uh, as a negotiating, uh, uh, you know, posture uh, give us more leverage to actually arrive at a legislative solution. Which I agree with you, Tony. That is how you want to solve this through legislation. No, it's, through it's not a question of wanting, sir. It's a question of signed of into the, law by the president
1: it's not a question of want to it's a question of the way that it's solved uh, one of your fellow senators on the republican side ben sass in nebraska referred to the executive orders as unconstitutional slop uh, we we agree that the president whether you you call it good politics or not which i can agree it's very good politics the president can't simply sign that every uh, uh, american oh, who is unemployed gets an extra yeah. 400 dollars a week
2: I agree. I agree. A pen and phone strategy, whether it is implemented by a uh, President Obama during a time when we are not in a national emergency or by a, a, a Republican president during a, a time when we are in the midst of one of the worst national emergencies we've ever seen is not the best way to make public policy. So uh, my good friend uh, Senator Sass and I agree on that talking
1: to Senator Todd Young of Indiana. When we now discuss uh, what it is, the the, the really far-fetched and, and uh, rather um, obscene nature, as I see it, of Nancy Pelosi's plan, I do think it's obscene that if we're talking about helping those people who we have harmed through shutdown, we should be focused on those people and other things like, for example, in the first stimulus, the money to the Kennedy Center, uh, which people in Washington agreed the Kennedy Center needed the money. It just should not have been a part of that first set of stimulus how do you create a deal now because Nancy Pelosi and Senator Chuck Schumer the Senate Minority Leader have not only taken a hardline position they've taken what I would refer to sir and tell me if you agree or disagree a very bitter position on saying meet us halfway or you want to kill grandma
2: it's a- Position. It's a dangerous position that undermines faith uh, and confidence uh, in uh, our institutions. Um, uh, you know, it undermines faith uh, in our government leaders. There's, there's already a, a great cynicism out there about Washington, but in a time of national emergency, we need to be able to come together just as we did in the initial stages of this pandemic. But unfortunately, we're roughly 90 days out from an incredibly consequential election. It's clear that clearly the calculation of of Nancy Pelosi working with the far left wing of her party, uh, which is controlling the agenda, that they sow the seeds of chaos, that the president will be blamed, and that that will help them come election day. And so um, this is a terrible predicament, and and uh, we need to navigate this. We need to call it as we see it. And uh, I think once the American people are, are educated, uh, as your listeners are, as to what exactly Is going on, uh, it's going to be easier to arrive at a settlement because uh, we might see more movement from Pelosi or Schumer. Let's hope so.
1: Now, you have, and I don't know if people know this, you have one of the weirdest, weirdest jobs. In the Senate within the Republican Party. Your job is to get senators reelected. And I always said that has got to be the most thankless job <laughs> possible because if you yeah. get them reelected, well, you were, yeah, you got them reelected. If you don't get them reelected, you're the guy who lost the Senate. Right. That's the position you're in. As you take a look at 2020 and take a look at some of the elections uh, that that we're looking at, where do you feel the Senate is right now? Can Republicans maintain control? And then looking at the House side, is there a, is there a strategy, is there a possibility of the Republicans gaining control of the House?
2: Oh, I'm actually privileged to have this position. Republicans are defending 23 U.S. Senate seats. The Democrats are only defending 12 seats nationally. So I love tough challenges. This is the toughest of challenges. Uh, you throw together the real estate challenge with the fact that this is uh, occurring within the midst of a global pandemic, an economic downturn, and racial and civil strife, and it ain't easy uh, to make sure Republicans keep control of the U.S. Senate. Uh, but look, uh, I can the things, uh, per the serenity prayer, uh, St. Francis, that are within my realm of control. And that means raising significant resources to assist my colleagues in these uh, battleground states so that we can do everything possible to put ourselves in a position to succeed. We have broken fundraising records by orders of magnitude at the National Republican Senatorial Committee, Um, and, and all the way, along the way, I've been able to sit at the leadership table and help shape the agenda on behalf of Hoosiers. So this is a great opportunity for me to do everything I can to serve my country in this capacity. If, for whatever reason, Donald J. Trump were to not win this election, Joe Biden were in control of of the White House, you have Nancy Pelosi in the House, we need a firewall against the Green New Deal, a packing of the Supreme Court of the United States as Mayor Pete socialized within the Democratic Party, a significant increase in taxes, and all these other crazy nonsense that uh, the far-left mob has been putting forward. I am someone not prone traditionally to histrionics. You know that, Tony, but the the implications of this election, I cannot overstate uh, the importance of of, uh, not doing everything possible to succeed in the Senate. We are poised for success. We're 90 days out. We've raised all those resources I mentioned. We've got great candidates with records of accomplishment to speak of. It's going to be close and um hoosiers and others can't relent so we need to stay focused on the prize which is the november elections
1: talking to senator todd young of indiana one of your other committee um uh, assignments you know you, you're, you're there on the finance committee uh, commerce science and, and transportation as well but to that uh, foreign relations committee we continue to take a look at China and and their actions. Of course, Russia has decided that they've got the cure to coronavirus, and I'm looking forward to how uh, their quote-unquote cure actually works, uh, but... To the concept of China, China is not taking responsibility for uh, what seems to be very clear—the uh, testing uh, that they were doing in that virology lab in in Wuhan, in not letting people know about leaks and not letting people know about coronavirus, and continuing to lie about uh, their numbers, which seems as obvious as the day uh, is, is long. And the problem that that China is in the stealing of technology and intellectual property, and now putting the sanctions on people like Senator Ted Cruz and Senator Marco Rubio, like the United States has put sanctions on uh, Chinese nationals. At what moment do you see this as, okay, we're in a real fight? I argue we already are. Maybe you see it differently. When do you see this as an actual fight? What is the fight, and how does one win it?
2: So... uh let me start. Uh, I feel um, disrespected uh, by the Chinese Communist Party that I, I too, was not sanctioned. Um, you know, <laughs> frankly, um, I feel like I've been a lot harder on the Chinese as a matter of substance and rhetoric than many of my colleagues. So I feel disrespected by Xi Jinping uh, and the other butchers who, who uh, advise him uh, on the uh, Politburo uh, within uh, China there. So uh, I'm assessing my options as a to a personal response, but more generally, uh, as a country, look, uh, early on in my tenure as a member of the Foreign Relations Committee, I held a series of hearings pertaining to China and their predatory economic practices. They rip off our intellectual property. They force us to transfer technology. They dump goods uh, into the United States so that they can grab market share. Um, They are violating all kinds of human rights, not just in Hong Kong, but they're actually um, they continue to to populate uh, concentration camps of, of Uyghur Muslims in the western part of the country. They have slave labor. You go on and on uh, about their violations of international norms and international laws. And, and uh, we need to stay vigilant. We are in the midst of a generational, perhaps multi generational battle. And so I think the president has, has rightly elevated the issue of of the economic concerns. I think we need to continue to carry the torch of of, uh, human rights uh, as we have throughout the Cold War uh, so that uh, our allies know that uh, we stick with them. There is an alternative to this autocratic, oppressive uh, way of government, and uh, it it exists uh, in the Free West. And the United States of America will continue to lead that Free West militarily, diplomatically, and economically. So we need our alliance system. And then um – you know, the last thing I, I would mention is we need to play offense. We can't just say don't buy Huawei materials uh, because, uh, you know, allies like UK, um, you're going to have the Chinese selling you this, this cheap IT equipment, then ultimately stealing data from your people. Uh, we can't just persuade other countries not to accept debt, uh, lest they fall into a debt trap, uh, not, not to accept a foreign aid, lest they fall into a debt trap from the Chinese. But um, I think playing offense means, in addition to military investment in investing in next generation technologies like artificial intelligence, quantum computing, uh, hypersonic technologies, so that we can outgrow outcompete and out innovate the Chinese, which is how we ultimately in large measure won the Cold War against the Soviet Union. so uh, I have put forward legislation that would invest in these frontier technologies. And uh, I think early next year we'll have an opportunity to pass that legislation. And um, there is absolutely no reason this state capitalist model they put together uh, should, should ever outflank the United States in, in any key technology area.
1: In literally 30 seconds, because it's all I have left, sir, I've been saying about uh, our state of Indiana, I would say this about Nebraska as well, I am stunned that these states haven't come together to create opportunities for businesses to bring manufacturing back from China and create deals uh, for them, tax breaks for them. Would you, are you willing to introduce that kind of legislation in the Senate that would provide tax breaks for companies that pull their manufacturing out of China, like Japan has done with a twenty-five billion dollar fund, and bring that manufacturing back to the Midwest.
2: Yes, we need to develop public policies that incentivize uh, American workers to to make uh, our. our Uh, goods here, especially for particular product categories. There's no reason whatsoever we should be dependent on the Chinese uh, for things like PPE and other things. So, um, uh, we'll work together with our trusted partners and allies uh, to make sure that we are uh, not dependent on the Chinese. That will lead to more Hoosier jobs, uh, being the most manufacturing intensive state in the country, and I look forward to working uh, to that end.
1: Senator Todd Young on Twitter, S E N Todd Young. That's two D's on the Todd right there. I always appreciate you taking uh, the time, sir. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz.
0: Up next is a conversation Tony and I actually had on the air about mail in voting. Uh, The big conversation right now is about mass voter fraud due to mail-in voting because coronavirus people are a little apprehensive about going to the polls Tony and I actually had this discussion because I did some research about uh, election securities and how, what they do to make sure that things are safe and I kind of presented my case to Tony and he presented his case to me it was a really actually fair discussion about the merits of mail-in voting and what can we expect in terms of fraud
1: Full disclosure, I have been paying no attention to this whole post office conversation None. Because the post office conversation is, uh, to quote uh, Tim Curry in clue, a red herring. Save that for later. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Let's get into the post office conversation. The question is, President Trump doesn't want to fund the post office. As a matter of fact, it's not that he doesn't want to fund it. He wants to defund the post office. He wants to defund the post office because that way we can't properly have mail-in voting, which, of course, is the way to have voting during coronavirus to ensure that every vote is counted. How am I doing, producer Ari? No, you, uh, you, you got it right so I, far. I got that part right, right? Yeah, you're, you're I, on the money. I got that part right now. The mail-in voting conversation is a fascinating one, and you have to address it logically and honestly. There are states that do mail-in voting, and if you didn't know, I'm Tony Katz, and that's producer Ari. Producer Ari has decided this is the thing that he's going to pay attention to. He, he, he's got a fiancé. He's got a new house, but the thing he's going to focus on is mail-in voting. So, you know, his life is going great.
0: That's such an—whatever. I, I,
1: whatever that was awesome. Just you befuddled made me happy. So you've been digging in. You've been doing your job in digging in. Just Oregon last, not, no, for, last night. Yeah, I got into a deep dive on this. Oregon has mail-in voting. It's actually rather successful as described, and I've seen it described in numerous places, as very successful. But about half the states do not have mail-in voting. So the first problem is is that we confuse mail-in voting with absentee voting. These are two very different things. An absentee ballot, which I absolutely favor, is when you know you're not going to be in town for the election, or you're in the military or wherever else, and you request a ballot, and you reach out, and then they know you, and they have signatures, and then they send you back the ballot, and you fill it in, you send it. Mail-in ballots can happen one of two ways. They can, of course, be requested, Right? I guess, but that would be absentee, or they can send you out applications and then you can fill out the application and then send it in. and Then you would get the mail-in ballot or a mail-in ballot could just be sent to everybody who was on a voter roll. These are the ways that it could happen. The absentee, the, the 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 application to request a mail-in ballot, or boom. You got sent something. Now, the boom, you got sent something is, I think, where people have some kind of understanding that, yeah, you can't just do that. Although, I think there are plenty of people who want to do that because that certainly brings about the most possibilities for fraud. And we should be clear, mail-in voting on a mass scale creates opportunities for fraud. We're going to get into that. The bigger problem is that mail-in voting does not, in large scale... There's a question of whether or not it has efficacy, meaning whether or not it works. In New York, for example, where they had they tried mail-in voting, you had just this, it, it was a disaster. It took a long time to figure out who was the winner of certain elections, whether votes were counted. You see, people see the fraud conversation as whether or not you're putting in extra ballots, right? That's how usually the fraud is considered. But let's go the other way. What happens when ballots go missing? According to Mark Hemingway, with a piece over at Real Clear Politics, Mark Hemingway is a bright cat, from April of 2020. In the last four elections there, producer Ari, how many mail-in ballots went missing? A lot, actually. 28 million. Yeah. Do you trust that? Do I trust the number? An analysis, May 21st, 2020, from the Washington Post. Here's the problem with mail-in ballots. They might not be counted. Mail-in voting is not some kind of panacea. It isn't a cure-all for what ails us. Now, the idea of fraud itself, and, Producer R, you were going through some of this, the argument you make... Based on your research Is that the idea of being able To have enough ballots To create enough
0: fraud To swing an election You think is statistically impossible I know it's statistically impossible So go through it Walk me through it So I was researching this And basically the idea that To get enough ballots To swing an election First of all you need to swing a state So let's just take Florida for example And the difference between Trump and Clinton in 2016 Was you know 100,000 votes Let's say that So if somehow Some person got 100,000 ballots. I don't know how they got it. Fine, you have 100,000 ballots. The problem now is that each of those ballots is barcoded so you can't make copies of them because now they they know if there's two barcodes there's going to be an issue there. The other issue is you can't just stick 100,000 extra ballots into circulation because they have voter registration and, uh, and population density and election results for the past 50 years. So if they realize, huh, there's an extra 100,000 votes in this county in Florida, they're immediately going to know, well, we don't have a, that many people in this county, so where do the 100,000 votes come from? And then you say, well, I'll just go spread them around around for counties. People have tried that before, and they got busted for voting extra three or four times because you can't, because the extra barcodes that scan it are impossible. There's just no way to add that many new ballots in circulation. You hear stories all the time of people who get busted for voter fraud because it's ridiculously hard to do it and get away with it. So now
1: I want to break down your, your commentary. I want to break down your theory and your thesis because I don't think you've gone far enough in understanding the levels of duplicity that are possible. Number one, you're right. The split between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton in Florida was was 4.6 million votes for Donald Trump and 4.5 million votes for Hillary Clinton. It was 113,000 votes. But you don't need a swing of 113,000 votes. You need a swing of 113,000 votes divided by two. Conservatively, yes. If you want to make sure, you're going to need more than that. I'm just saying that you we took a number... And I'm, this is not me angry at you. This is me just taking a look at it. Uh, you took a number and we just divided it in half. It just became easier by half. Okay, fine. I'll give you 50,000 50, ballots you'll need. Now, let's take a look at the state of Michigan. When we take a look at the state of Michigan, the split between Donald Trump with 2.279 million votes and Hillary Clinton with 2.268 million votes is 11 thousand votes which we already know we only have to split by half that 16 electoral votes in Michigan that is pretty easy to get 6,000 ballots pretty dang easy when you consider, as we know to be true, those people in offices already willing to subvert the system. We know this is true in a pay for play scandal in New Jersey. We have seen this play out in Virginia and West Virginia. We know this to be factual. And they got caught. It is, it is I don't disagree, difficult. It is not impossible. Add to that the amount of ballots that mysteriously go missing or the ones that get found in a trunk a la Al Franken. That's true. But now let's get to the big one. Let's get to the big one. And the reason I have not been paying attention to this conversation. Here it is. Why the hell do we have to vote by mail? The idea that the polling place is a place that we can't vote because we're all going to get coronavirus is too absolutely ridiculous to be believed. Absolutely ridiculous. It's a lie. It's made up garbage nonsense and we should have no part of it. I favor polling places being open for 24 hours. You can hand everybody a, a bottle of hand sanitizer. You can wipe everything down before they vote. It's a lie that we can't do this. It's made up. It is fear-mongering, and fear-mongering a U.S. election is too despicable for words. So no, I'm not buying in. That we need mail-in voting is a lie told by people who are more okay with the idea of fraud deciding an election than the people deciding an election. And I ain't got time for them crazy folk. Leland Vitter to Fox News, he's up next.
0: Last story I want to be sure to get to you guys. Uh, Kamala Harris is the pick for Joe Biden. Tony wasn't sure that he would even be the nominee, but it appears that is set in stone. Kamala Harris is the pick. It seems that the narrative from the mainstream media, New York Times, Washington Post, is that Kamala Harris is this, this champion moderate. And Tony Katz is kind of just sitting here thinking, like, what the hell is everyone talking about? Why do people think that Kamala Harris is this super moderate? Look at the history. She's really not.
1: Joe Biden was very excited. He was able to get out of the basement, got to put on his big boy clothes and then introduced his vice presidential running mate. So now we need to get to work
2: pulling this nation out of these crises we find ourselves in, getting our economy back on track, uniting this nation and, yes, winning the battle for the soul of America. My fellow Americans... Now, let me introduce to you, for the first time, your next vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris. Kamala, the floor is yours.
1: Yeah, He's like the the Michael Buffer of politics. Now, there is a weird thing going on with Kamala Harris, and it has nothing to do with Kamala Harris. Although, there is a website. Go on. Go to it right now. Don't waste time. Kamalaharris.info. And you go to kamalaharris.info, and the first thing you see is a picture of Kamala Harris. Big smile on her face. Oh, wow. It says Kamala Harris for arresting the people. Yeah, no, it it, it says that. And then it goes through the list. Kept nonviolent criminals in jail to put out forest fires. Right? Because they were they were put into forced labor, according to the LA Times. Put parents in jail for children skipping school and then laughed about it. I often say she put the kids in school. She put the parents, I mean, put the kids in jail. She put the parents in jail. I don't want to get that story wrong, so I apologize if I did. Tony Katz, by the way. Tony Katz today. Great to be with you. On Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Twitter and Instagram, Tony Katz. Kamalaharris.info. Opposed DNA testing that might get an innocent black man off death row. Defended the death penalty. Supported civil asset forfeiture to seize property without any charges. I despise civil asset forfeiture. And there are people on the political right who are fine with it. They're just wrong and they need to be fought everywhere. And then, of course, Kamala Harris believes the accusers of Joe Biden. Which is the most unbelievable in criminally insane part she does she believes them i believe them and i i respect um, them being able to tell the story now in person so you think that they're telling the truth when they say joe biden was sexually inappropriate or worse with them up to and including as is alleged insertion and you're still like oh i can't wait to be your vice president <laughs> But that's not the story. The story is exactly how many ways today's press is going to lie to you. And they're so busy lying, they don't even notice how odd the lie is. It started on the day of the announcement. I mean, follow me through here. Follow me through to the end. Let me know what you think. Twitter, uh, at Tony Katz, just reach out. It started with the day of the announcement, and the New York Times referred to Kamala Harris as a pragmatic moderate. And doesn't matter who you are, pragmatic moderate, man, That that's a lot of drugs.
2: One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, a bag of weed, a bag of weed, a-
1: I mean, nobody, nobody has ever said that about Kamala Harris, ever. That's, that's a clear lie to make people think that this is a, a cool, calm, collected uh, choice that's really going to bring balance to the ticket. You see, just another pragmatic moderate, which is exactly what America needs. Pragmatic moderate. Something hit me about that. It was the lie, but it was. Why would you say that? I mean, it's such a lie. She, she wants to ban fracking. She's anti-gun. She's anti-religious freedom. Uh, why, why would you say pragmatic moderate? Then you have George Stephanopoulos on ABC comes from the middle of the road,
2: moderate wing of the Democratic uh, Party, not the first choice of progressives, but Joe Biden banking that this historic move as the first woman of color on a national
1: ticket will overcome that. Middle of the road, moderate wing of the party. She literally, as Attorney General of California, wrote a brief to the Supreme Court on the Hobby Lobby case saying they should be forced to provide abortion care because when you are a for-profit company, you lose that right to practice your religion (laughs) and have religious beliefs. Middle of the road, moderate wing. Something's not right about that. Then you have the Washington Post you have the Washington Post saying and in their opinion pages Kamala Harris is a small C conservative party friendly pick which makes her just right for Biden
2: Okay people move along there's nothing to see here
1: Small C conservative? Guys, I've been a conservative most of my life. Lately, I question whether I'm not just a classical liberal and put an end to it all. Right? I, I, I would argue I am a classical liberal, but I would call myself a conservative. Small C conservative? I've never heard a day in my life. I have seen small L liberal before. I have never, ever encountered small C conservative. Meaning that they lean, you know, they're more conservative leaning, but they're not a a full-blown conservative. What in the world? You have George Stephanopoulos lying. You have uh, the New York Times lying. The Washington Post lying. Let's go back to a town hall with Kamala Harris When she was running for president of the United States, being asked the question regarding the environment.
0: Implementing a federal ban on fracking your first day in office. Adding the United States to the list of countries who have banned this devastating practice. There's no question I'm in favor of banning fracking. So,
1: yeah, And and starting. That position costs her the Midwest. We know this. I swear to you, we are so far ahead of this curve. Western Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, I think it costs Nebraska, I think it costs the Dakotas, it costs Indiana. It co- Not only does it cost the places that have fracking, it costs the places that don't have fracking because they recognize the value of a large fuel supply that brings down the cost of fuel that makes it easier to run all the equipment necessary to, I don't know, grow our food or build our widgets. It it, it is, she's a disaster. That's not a moderate policy. If she said, well, I'm fine with fracking, but I don't want fracking taking place in those areas that are really fragile ecosystems. There are places that can handle fracking, but there are some that just can't. And we need to be very, very sure that we're fracking in areas that really it is not bringing about a level of, of, of devastation. We absolutely need the energy. It cannot be denied. It's much better than being dependent on foreign oil. We can do this properly in the places we can't, we shouldn't. And then if she said, I, I oppose uh, uh, fracking or or engaging in any level of drilling in Anwar, well, then people can yell about that, uh, right? But that would be a more moderating position. She doesn't believe in it. Nothing makes sense here, though. Nothing makes sense here because... We know for fact that Joe Biden is fighting to get the progressive wing of the party to vote for him. He is fighting to get the Bernie bros on his side. That's why you see all this talk from Bernie Sanders uh, about how we're coming uh, to, to deals and we're not getting, you know, everything we want, but we're doing much better. It's, it's how you get uh, Representative Pramila Jayapal, a, a radical leftist. Uh, to to make the claim that you know what we're 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 working with him and we're able to kind of move him, I will be
0: pushing him. I will you know as soon as we get him in the White House and even before, um, with these task forces that we had, we were able to significantly push Joe Biden to do things that he hadn't
1: signed on to before. So. Those task forces are run by Bernie Sanders and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It is the move to the left. When you get the nomination, you're supposed to move to the center. He's still tacking left. His vice presidential pick is attack to the left. Everything you're hearing from the party is about attack to the left. So why in the world would the New York Times, George Stephanopoulos of ABC News and the Washington Post push this idea of Kamala Harris as a moderate? Doesn't make sense unless, of course, you understand how much they hate you. This is about lying, this is about catching them in a lie. We see Joe Biden tacking left, yet you have three news sources that are supposed to be the reputable news sources that we trust telling us how she's a moderate. We know it not to be true. We have her in her own words. We have what Joe Biden is doing. We have what those people around him are doing to Joe Biden and bragging about. They're lying to you. They are proudly lying to you. This isn't journalism. This is propaganda. This is this is collusion. This is violence. That you would have major news organizations engaging first amendment protections to then work together to push what they know to be a lie. Because nobody who is engaged with those kinds of news outlets would actually believe such a thing. They must know, they must be somehow in on the joke. I don't know if they got the email that I didn't get because it's clearly a joke if you call Kamala Harris a small c conservative. It's a lie. And media is lying to you. Let me give you another example of this very strange happening. I did an interview yesterday with Senator Todd Young of Indiana, right here on this show. And uh, so the senator uh, tweeted it out. And, oh, my goodness gracious, you you think you get hate uh, on Twitter. Dear Lord, people are angry, and they've got a lot of free time. Uh, you did this. You're terrible here. You should resign here. You're a rhino here. You're this, oh, No matter which side, he's getting punched. But a lot of people had written... You're upset with the Democrats. You know, they, they passed their bill in May. Where have you been? First, it doesn't matter that they passed their bill in May. It's a terrible bill. I don't care when they passed their bill. $3.5 trillion of nonsense. Of nonsense. And then their answers will meet us halfway. No, no, I don't think I'm going to meet you at all. You have to stop what you're doing and come join us. It's a negotiation, people. Sometimes it's rough and tumble. But some other people said the Republican coronavirus relief bill, the HEALS Act, has like $220 billion for military assets. Is that necessary? Is, is that what we mean about no pork in the bill? Now, I'm I'm in favor of more money for the military now more than ever, specifically in the world of uh, uh, cyber security, which is a nonpartisan subject, which is, say, a bipartisan subject. You can get everybody in America on to spending real money on cyber security. I don't know why the president doesn't go forward with trying to do just that and, and bring some people in, force them into the fold right before the election. But isn't it odd that the people who are complaining that the Republicans haven't come to the table and Republicans are saying, well, there's too much, you know, too much nonsense in, in, in this uh, legislation from the Democrats. The people who are complaining are complaining about nonsense in the bill from Republicans, so you agree that 3.5 trillion is too much? If you agree that 1 trillion is too much for a second round or a third round, or whatever round we are on coronavirus stimulus relief. Don't you find that to be a strange argument that you want the Republicans to spend more, but you're complaining about what they're spending on in their stimulus package? Doesn't that strike you as just weird? Because it's weird. It doesn't make any sense. It does not connect. If someone says to me, Hey, I know you don't want to spend $3.5 trillion, but Republicans have got over $200 billion in things in in their stimulus relief bill that don't involve stimulus relief. You know what I say? Well, then get rid of the $220 billion. I don't say, Well, then let's find some compromise at $1.8 billion. It doesn't make any sense. For the New York Times, for George Stephanopoulos and ABC News, for the Washington Post to push the idea that Kamala Harris is a moderate doesn't make any sense. And the only thing that does make sense is that they're lying to you. The only thing that makes sense when you hear these ridiculous ridiculous responses about Republican spending and and coronavirus relief bill is that they only object to the idea that Republicans have other priorities. What they want is more money and they just will take anything they can get. They don't actually care about relieving people, helping people, making people's lives easier during uh, shutdowns and destroying livelihoods. They don't give a damn about it. They care about their pet projects and demand Republicans give them something. My father, more than 20 years ago, once said, he said it more than once, as we were watching this slow descent into madness, and my father is a, a, a longtime watcher, said, eventually you will see the day where people carry signs that say, give me something. They will go to protests and they will go to marches and they'll stand on street corners with signs that say, give me something. Well, dad, you have been proven right. Because the people complaining about Republican spending don't care about Democratic spending as long as they get something. They don't even know what they're getting. They don't know why it benefits them as long as we get something. And they're willing to lie And willing to obfuscate and willing to completely put their heads in the sand on the truth in order to get their way. The press is more than happy to lie. They know Joe Biden is tacking further left. They know the progressives are in charge of the party. They know they can't win an election without the progressives. Look at the primary win of Ilhan Omar, of Rashida Tlaib, of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Take a look at the primary win of Cory Bush in St. Louis or Jamal Bowman in New York. The pro- more progressive they are winning, which is a learning lesson, people. Don't shy away from who you are. Walk right through the wall. Walk through the wall they elect anti-Semites proudly not one not two but three that's right I'm saying all three members of the squad that I just mentioned Talib Omar Anacacio Cortez anybody who hangs out with Jeremy Corbyn and that's an anti-Semite in my book quote me I'm fine I have no fear you gotta hold true people respond to it the New York Times, the Washington Post, the ABC, they are lying. And they're lying. Because they will make the assumption that you don't see the hard left tack on the other side. Maybe they can swing some people sitting on the fence. Maybe they could just make you think, well, you know what? It's a moderate ticket. and I think moderate will be good right now. And it's not people who, you know, they're, they're living their lives. And maybe they're not paying as much attention as possibly you and me. Uh, and uh, so it's a moderate. And, that you know, that's good. It's Joey's a moderate guy, you know, and, and everything will be fine. We could use a little bit of that right now. Yeah. So, so okay. That's their hope. Their hope is based on lying to America. My advice, let's not let them. I'm Tony Katz.